Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. Okay, all right. All right, so I've done family business. Did I forget anything? Got it? We did Saturday night. Okay, Genesis chapter 12. We are wrapping up a little three-week dealio we've been doing on consumerism. And uh, the, the way we've been talking about it is we've wanted to uh, go after a little bit the idea of the American dream. There are parts of the American dream, as we understand it, that are really good parts. And things like initiative and opportunity and all of those hard work, all of those things we affirm. But at the same time, we recognize there's this assumption behind the American dream. You know, that goes something like this. Ever-increasing levels of prosperity mean ever-increasing levels of personal happiness and purpose and significance. And we just want to say, no, that's not how it works. There's something much more important going on in human life than that. And so uh, while there are parts we want to affirm, there are parts we've wanted to speak against. And so we wanted to be a community that leaves behind entitlement, the idea that we're owed. And we want to be people that see all of life as a gift. And we're fundamentally grateful. We want to be people that abandon self-sufficiency, the idea that somehow we can manage. We have to work it out all on our own to manage the good life that we want for ourselves. And we want to journey from there into dependence and trust, the belief that God is good, even though sometimes it just doesn't seem that way. This morning, we want to take a look at the journey from materialism to generosity. We want to take a look at the idea that fundamentally in the scriptures, the life that's really life isn't lived based solely on the accumulation of stuff, but there's something much more profound God wants to do in us and through us. So Genesis chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. This is a very pivotal point in the biblical story. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything, says that it's good. Genesis 3 through 11, it goes south and sin and death kind of ripple all throughout creation. God then determines to redeem and, and he begins by selecting a man named Abram who we know as Abraham, and he, he starts just by making this promise out of nowhere, and the rest of the Bible is the fulfillment of this thing. So Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that's a pretty amazing promise for a guy we just met in verse 1. Right? The Lord comes to Abram says, Leave everything you know behind and check this out. I will make your descendants numerous. You will be a great nation. I will give you a land. You will be blessed. You will have a great name. But do all of those blessings, are they given to Abraham just for his own sake, according to this promise? No, Right? You will be blessed, and then you will do what? Be a blessing. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, ultimately, this is fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah, right? Out of Abraham comes the Jewish nation. Out of the Jewish nation comes a Savior that's for, a savior for everybody. But there's a principle here that is so absolutely critical to understanding how God works, and it's simply this. The blessing that God gives us is never meant just for us. We're blessed always to bless others. That's how it works. The idea is that we're a funnel, Literally, we're not just a container or a bowl where God pours things in and it sits there. We are blessed biblically to be a blessing. This comes out in spades to Abraham, right? You will be blessed, a great nation. All this stuff happens, but it's not just for you. 
It's to go beyond you. And ultimately, all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So the idea that God blesses, we love that part. The part that we have struggled with is that he blesses not just for me, but he blesses me for other people to be blessed too. Go, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. This is seen all over the place in the Bible. This is fundamental to what it means to be the people of God. Flip over to the right, Deuteronomy 24. We've talked about, if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about something called gleaning. And it was a law in the Old Testament that if you were a farmer and you were harvesting crops, you had to leave some of the crops for the poor and the orphan and the widow and the fatherless. The, the poorest of the poor in Israel. So you, wouldn't, uh, you would not harvest the edges of your field. For instance, you would leave those. Or if anything fell off as you were harvesting, you couldn't go back and pick it up. And so this was kind of a big deal in Israel because if you're a farmer and you've done all the work right to, har- to plant, you've done all the work to make sure there's a good crop coming, is it a bit of a discipline for you to leave some for people who did nothing? Of course it is. But that was one of the ways that God arranged to take care of the poor in Israel. But notice there's a rationale he gives for this that we've looked at before. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17. Let's go to verse 19. We'll start there instead. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Now, do you see the connection between leaving part of your harvest and being slaves in Egypt? You guys see that connection? Yeah? Okay, that was a big old no. Um, Here's the connection. In Egypt, when they were slaves... They were the fatherless, they were the alien, they were the widow. That's the idea, that literally they were estranged, they were an oppressed people, they were a poor people, they were a people that suffered injustice. And God comes, and out of his generosity, he delivers them out of slavery and into freedom. Right Out of worshiping false gods into the worship of the one true God. Out of never having rest to now having a calendar full of Sabbath days and festivals and all of this stuff. And so God simply says, listen, because I was generous with you and redeeming you from slavery, you are to be generous with each other. So whatever, so whatever he's saying, he's saying whatever you've received from me, pass it on to other people. So it's the idea of being blessed. If you have a crop, that it represents blessing for you, bless others with it. In that case, it meant, and you guys are all familiar with beating your olive trees, right? We do this every now and again. You take a big, you want the best, hardest hitting, right, olive tree hitter in your family to take a crack at the olive trees because once you've taken your shot, do you get another shot? No, why? Because you were slaves in Egypt. Okay, what's the leap again? The leap again is God's generosity to you and redeeming you from slavery is to be, you're to show that same generosity to people less fortunate than you. That's how it works. You're blessed in order to bless others, right? There's nothing wrong with being blessed. Hallelujah for being blessed. If you have olive trees, fantastic. But let's build into the understanding of blessing that you know it's instrumental. It's not just for you. It's to flow through you and be evidence of God's grace to you by 
passing, being passed along to other people. Is this making sense so far? And this is really how the whole Christian life works. Why, do we, why are we supposed to love each other? Who loved us? Right. Why do we forgive each other? God forgave us. I mean, it's literally, like, that's the rationale for the way we're supposed to treat each other. Whatever you've received from God, pass it on. And that's why Jesus gets ticked at people who didn't forgive. Because he's going, do you not understand how much you've been forgiven? How can you not not forgive somebody, right? It's ridiculous. And so if you've received comfort, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, comfort others. If you've received forgiveness, forgive. If you've received love, love. If you've received blessing, then bless. I mean, this is the whole big biblical story about how it is to be God's people. God is so great and generous. Whatever you've received, pass it along. That's the picture. Now, something very dangerous happens to God's people when they don't do this. Something very dangerous and damaging to the souls of God's people happens if they're blessed, but they forget the to be a blessing part. And they just think it's just for them. There's something very damaging that happens. And Jesus gives us a picture of this. In the book of Matthew, flip over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is telling a parable about a farmer that throws seed down and the seed lands on four different kinds of soil. There's soil that is hard and rocky, soil that is shallow, soil that is thorny, and soil uh, that is uh, really good soil and fruitful soil. And he says, he tells this parable, and all of a sudden his disciples are like, okay, we know this has some sort of religious meaning, but we're not quite sure what it is you're saying, because up until this point in Matthew, Jesus has been pretty direct in teaching them. In Matthew's account, this is the first parable. So Jesus has to explain the parable to him. He's like, listen, the seed is the proclamation of, of Jesus' Messiahship, the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And the different soils represent different heart responses to the message of Jesus. For some, it just bounces right off like hard soil, and it doesn't, it doesn't penetrate at all. For other people, there's an initial acceptance, but when hard things or bad things happen, they quickly abandon the faith. And then he describes the third soil. And I think you'll see there's, there's a little bit here for us. Verse 22 of Matthew 13. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, and the word means the message of Jesus, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So Jesus identifies there are some people that hear his message and it bounces right off of them. It just doesn't, nothing sinks in. There are other people that hear his message and they initially say, yes. And when they realize life is still hard, even with Jesus, they abandon the faith. And then he identifies a third group. And he says, there's an initial acceptance, but then worry, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke that growth. And I think that's a pretty vivid picture of, of what the American church wrestles with, wouldn't you agree? The word for worry here, the worries of this life, the word for worry means to be scattered. When you're worried about something, you're physically here, but you might be a, a mentally or emotionally somewhere else. Have any of you ever experienced this? I'm physically here, but I'm replaying a conversation I had last night. I'm at work, but I'm really fearing 
uh, a meeting that's coming later. And so I'm here, but I'm actually there too. To be worried means to be scattered. It means to be fragmented. It means that you're physically one place, but you're also over here and over here. You're not fully present here and now. There's a bit of you that's stewing on something in the past. There's a bit of you anticipating uh, or fearing something in the future. And so you're here, but there's just something in the back of your head. Does, do any of you resonate with this? That this is the way we live, right? I mean, I'm at work, but I'm always wor- worried about how much my paycheck will be. I'm, I'm at home, but I got this thing at work happening. It just worry robs us of being fully present here and now. So the image that Jesus gives of one of the things that chokes us is this idea of being scattered or fragmented across the space of our lives. And then he also mentions the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, do you think those two things are related? The worry of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Do you think those things are related? Yes. Why does wealth help worry? Or at least the the deception is that it does. Would you agree? So if you have more wealth, you you should have less worry. That's the idea, right? As I have more money... I have more security, more stability, more opportunity. I should be better off when I have more. So worry, because our life is full of worry, what's, I, I know I'm supposed to trust God, but he's invisible and he doesn't quite frankly seem all that interested sometimes. This is what we think. Money is a lot more tangible. Money, money allows me comfort and security, right? So, so when we have less money, worry increases. When we have more money, we think worry should decrease. But the deception of wealth is that more money and stuff doesn't lead to less worry. How many of you are making more money than you did 10 years ago? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. This is good. All right. And how many, and some of you aren't. So maybe you're young. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you'll raise your hand someday. But here's what you'll learn. How many of you are less worried than you were 10 years ago? Anybody? Okay. How old are you? What's that? Yes. You're over. <laughs> All right. Here's the one man who raised his hand that, yes, I'm less worried than I was. Hallelujah. Jesus actually transforms our heart, and maybe it has both. And, um, and in general, the more stuff you have, it's not the less worried you become, it's the more worried you become. Because there's this fundamental principle at work. The more stuff I try to own, the more stuff ends up owning me. Would you agree with this? I have two, I have two vehicles. Vehicle number one is a junky truck. 11 years old, we paid hardly anything for it. It is smelly, it is stinky. When my kids spill something in it, it just adds to the character. It is beat up, it is bruised. I could give it away, I could loan it out, I don't care. Through a series of just incredible God sort of provision. uh, Just, I mean, it was unbelievable how God provided for us. But we ended up being able to afford a 2009 Honda Odyssey minivan. Now, I used to mock minivan owners. And then we have three children. And let me tell you, it matters. It's a 2009, and we're still making payments on it. My question to you is, it has leather seats. My question to you is this. Is my reaction different to my children when they spill something? 
when it's in the van than when it's in the truck. Yes? Is my reaction different when I notice that my parking neighbor has opened their door with inappropriate zeal (laughs) and dings the side of my vehicle? Do I react differently when it's in the truck or when it's in the van? Right? So, so my relationship that they both are vehicles, right? They both, I mean, but something happens in me. And now I own something, whereas this, I mean, I own it, but it's, <coughs> quite frankly, it'd be fine if it disappeared. But the van, we're paying for the van. The van is nice. The van has leather seats. The van, and all of a sudden, instead of me owning it, has my worried, has my worry gone down because I own the van? Nope, it's just another reason to be fragmented. Because now I've got to keep it nice when there are three active agents of chaos in my life who are just trying to do the opposite. (laughs) Parents, have you ever made the mistake of buying new carpet when your children were small? Right, that's dumb. (laughs) With the old carpet, you could spill things, it was fine. But with the new carpet, no, 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 no. I mean, we had, when I grew up, we got a new house. Uh, My mom remarried somebody who had had, uh, a bunch of wealth. And there were whole houses my brother and I were not allowed into, whole houses, whole rooms in the house that we were not allowed into. And I lived when I was with my dad. We had this old clunky house that wasn't nearly as nice, right? Everything was broken. Everything was like salvaged from yard sales. And then we had this kind of castle that you couldn't touch. Which house do you think my brother and I loved more? Right, the old one. Because the new one said, the house is more important than you. So we have this mystical connection with our stuff. My wife and I uh, own a place in Costa Mesa. We were able to ride the boom to own a place. And this place is loved and beat up pretty significantly. We have a little special needs boy. We had to move to Irvine because we don't have to. But Irvine has the best social services once our little guy hits three and is in the school system. So we wanted to move here. We're renting a house that was a significantly nicer house that we're renting. We have friends of ours who uh, their basement, not basement flooded, their house flooded and they needed a place to stay. They have a bunch of kids. They ask us to stay in our brand new rental because there's another family in our old house. Now, I said to my wife, if it were the old house, it'd be a no-brainer. But because it's the new house, it was an issue. Can, is anyone, can anyone relate to this stuff? So you'd think... The better stuff, the more stuff that we get, right? Worry is solved. No, this is great. I got more stuff, but it's just the reverse. It's this crazy thing. Wealth promises to alleviate worry, and all it does is increase it. And so this picture of the people who want to follow Christ, but who are choked By the worry of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Does that ring true? That rings true in my heart. Absolutely. Jesus, it's no coincidence Jesus goes after this. It's almost like he knows us. It's almost like he knew, you know? So so we have an economy that's going sideways. We live in a world that seems so, I mean, so much different than even five years ago. When I mean, it was just free money everywhere. And now people are losing jobs and staying unemployed and really, really struggling and cutting back. 
And now we're more tempted than ever to believe if I just had 20,000 more dollars, right? I'd be better. I'd buy that. <laughs> Absolutely. And sure, there's a short-term good and we could pay off debt and fine. But once you're there, will you still believe if you had $20,000 more at that point that you'd be better off? Well, of course. I mean, I'm talking to a friend of mine who lives in a $2 million house, who earns in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, who's doing quite well even in this bad economy, and he's talking about the rich people. <laughs> really? Go if you would to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's like, wow, if you're, not, if you're not rich, I don't know who is, right? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So, would you agree? There is this sense that everything's a gift, and we're blessed not just to enjoy the blessings ourselves. Hallelujah for the blessings, but they're meant to be passed along. And there's something broken in us, something damaged in us, when that doesn't happen, when all of a sudden we just we got to hoard them and we got to keep them and we got to accumulate them. And would you agree it's not just monetary stuff that, that we can be owned by? How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you get really angry with people when they interrupt your time? Or a doctor wastes your time, right? They're an hour late and you're just so mad, right? I hate when people waste my time. Because what? Time is... <laughs> right? So it's not just money we're talking about. I mean, it's, it can be anything that we want to clutch onto. But notice what Paul says. Paul says this. He's writing to a young pastor named Timothy. So if the problem is the worry and the deceitfulness of wealth can choke God's work in us, Paul says it just beautifully. He says, verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, let me ask you, be honest. When you hear that or read that, how many of you think of somebody else? Right? Like the people up at the Big Mariners. <laughs> right? <laughs> or I walk around Balboa Island looking at Christmas lights going, well, here's where the rich people live. I mean, now I know. Right? I mean, how many of us, when we hear rich in this present world, think of somebody else? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. But I want you to know that when the world thinks of rich people, they think of us. Here's just a little perspective. This is a little guilt-inducing PowerPoint I put together for us. You can thank me later for this. <laughs> All right, so... If your income is $25,000 per year, you are wealthier than 90% of the world's population. If you make over 50 grand a year, you have more than 99% of the world. It's according to the World Bank. Next. 93% of the world's population doesn't own a car. We compare our wealth to those above us, not below us. Next. According to the World Bank, 1.2 billion people live less, live on a dollar a day or less. 1.6 billion live on two dollars a day or less. So that's two. So that's literally half the world lives on two dollars a day per less. The average American lives on 105 dollars a day. In 2002, the gross national income per person 
was $735 or less for two and a half billion people. For us, it was $37,610. Next. 1% of people in the world own a computer. Next. 1% of people in the world have a college education. Now, whoa, excuse me. This isn't guilt. This is perspective. Would you agree? So, when the scripture says, command those who are rich in this present world, the rest of the world would look at us. Orange County, California, United States, and say, we're the rich ones. And the fact that we don't feel rich shows how demonic this system really is. Now, some of you are here struggling big time. And this isn't to minimize those struggles. Some of you haven't been able to find work. Some of you have lost a house. Some of you um, are really in desperate straits. But can we agree that struggling here and struggling anywhere else, it's just two different struggles. I mean, so these 40 families that are coming in that are struggling, we're going to throw a Christmas party for, we're not going to look at them and say, hey, you're some of the wealthiest people in the world. Suck it up. No. <laughs> Here's the get. No. No. They're legitimate. There are all kinds of kids going hungry in Orange County. It's ridiculous. So we want to stand, I mean, none of that mitigates the work we're trying to do here and helping each other along. But for most of us, we live with the illusion that we're not wealthy, even when we had work. And so something like this, I need this every year. I look at these statistics every single year because I need to be reminded, blessed to be a blessing, you're looking at it. The kind of disparity that I have, and hallelujah, I mean, I'm so grateful I have a car, and I'm so grateful I have a college education and a computer, and I'm so grateful I have clean water and good food, and I'm so grateful for that. But what's the response beyond gratitude? Blessed to be a blessing. And when we don't do that, we're in danger of having the work of God in us just choked, strangled is what the word means. Because the worries of this life aren't going away. And the deceitfulness of wealth promises to alleviate the worry. And so I just find myself, if I just had more, if I just had more, if I just had more, if I just had more. And I get more, and all I want is still more. So Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Is wealth wrong? No. Hoping in it, that's when it becomes an idol. Don't be arrogant or put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Can we agree? But to put their hope in God. Why? Because he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you, do you see God this way? I don't see God that way. Like, I've got to like, bargain with God to get good stuff. God, I will give you four good sermons, if you will. And then God replies, you call those good sermons? <laughs> Verse 18, command them, the rich in this present world, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
See, kingdom people are the only people in our world that simply say accumulation is not the path to the life that's really life. Spending is not a divine priority. Consumption will never satisfy. We're the people that simply say, no, no, if you really want to taste the life that is really life, simplicity and generosity and kindness. We're the kind of people that say that people are more important than things. And we just have to remind ourselves, why do we take offerings? Is it for God? No. He doesn't need the money. Is it for the church? No. If you're just doing it to support the church, there are much better reasons to give. The big one is that I need to have my fingers opened because I just want to clutch and I just want to grab and I just want to hold on. And God very gently comes alongside of me and says, you're blessed, unbelievably blessed. And the fact that you don't see it or feel it or live with this awe and wonder at how much you have shows you how dark our world really is. Okay, God, what do I do if, if, if I'm in danger of being strangled? Be rich in good deeds and willing to share. Okay. And I love that it's not more specific than that. Because if there were a rule, I would just do the minimum. Right? So if the rule was, okay, give 12% away, guess what I'd give? 12% and not one penny more. Because I'd buy the lie that says, here's your 12%, God, I get the rest. So Paul instead says, be generous, willing to share. Not only does it help others, but my goodness, you'll begin to taste the life that's really life. So you've got a piece of paper in your bulletin. If, we don't. if you don't, you can have mine. We were running. What if you don't? I will tear mine in half. Oh my goodness. I know we were running out of bulletins. I have no idea. If you don't, here's another one. I cannot continue to do this. <laughs> See that? See? Oh, look at Andy. Any of you need other pieces of paper? Oh my goodness, there's a whole crop of paperless folks that are here. Hand them out. All right, now can you pay attention and... Or do we need to just watch Andy? Highly trained, highly paid... Oh, and there's, you know, we got some over here. All right, I, clearly we can't do it all. Or at least I can't. So we'll just wait until we, everyone has paper. Hey, we just had a money talk. Was it all right? All right. All right. If I would have told you ahead of time, would you have been excited? Yeah, man, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> all right, some more up here. I hope that our little paper exercise lives up to this sort of build-up. I'm kind of worried it won't now. It's like, oh, I really didn't need a piece of paper for that. <laughs> this better be good. All right, are you ready? Are we, oh, there's somebody right there. Oh, look at, be generous and willing to share. And here she was. Are we ready? Okay. On one side, don't do this yet. Let me explain the exercise. One side, I want you to write down the ways that you are rich in this present world. Here are examples. Um, amount of money that you have in the bank, equity you have in your house, a car, a computer, material possessions. 
You have time. Perhaps you're unemployed and you are rich in time. Perhaps you are employed and rich in skill. For instance, I am jealous to know somebody who knows how to fix cars. Do you know why? Because I do not. I, can't, I, can get the, I can get the hood open. That's all I'm good for. If you said, hey, change the washer fluid, yes. I, don't, I couldn't do that. I would take it to Jiffy Lube. Do you see what I'm illustrating here? That is one of the ways some of you are rich in this present world. Some of you, some of you delight in making food for people. This will, this will shock you to know that there are others of us who love to eat the food that you make. <laughs> right? So I want you to think big. So on one side, I want you to think of all the ways you are blessed. Flip side, what are the things that own you? What are the things that you are clenching onto? What are the things, and be, be ruthlessly honest, because the point of the exercise is to show if, if what you list in terms of what you're clenching onto isn't listed on the blessing part, that's just a really interesting thing for us to know, isn't it? Like, and so to take the, the stuff on the second part and to move it to the first page, to take the stuff that I'm clenching onto and to say, okay, it is something I've been blessed with. And the way it's to be used now is to bless others. And you may not even know what that means. Don't worry about that. Let's just, so one side, are you following me on this? Okay, I got two nods. Are you following me on this thing? Is it worth the paper? Yes. No. One side, blessed to be a blessing, right? Second side, what are the things that own you? Time. Something you guard zealously. And then, and then would you just pray as we worship together, pray about what it would be to reframe the stuff on the second side to move it to the first. And then see what God does. See what he does. So Lord Jesus, help us if you would. God, we're people that um, because we're fearful and because we worry and because we're scattered, God, we just admit that the idol of wealth and all that it represents sits before us. And we want to be a community that consistently resists its power by learning to be generous and rich in good deeds. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and work in our hearts to set us free. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.